Are you a girl who can't say no to chocolate? Or maybe you believe that carbonated drinks are a breakfast beverage. We all have cravings. Perhaps one of the most powerful ones many women face is the desire for a man. But just like our cravings for sweets lie to us, so does our desire for a man. It must be understood so it can be controlled or else it will control you. Dana Gresh encourages both single and married women to face a deadly lie we believe about love and marriage that makes us give in to the craving. More importantly, she offers the solution to it in this message presented at True Woman. Ladies, um, I hate to change the subject from something as important as hymns to the subject of what did you have for lunch, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. What did you have for lunch? I know some of you right now are in a carb coma, and I am tasked to keep you awake. Um, I want to ask you, I'm going to tell you, I want to talk to you about cravings, desires, and appetites. Oh my. Now I'm going to list four food groups for you, and I want you to select one of them and place yourself in a food group. The way you place yourself in that food group is when you have no self-control whatsoever with that item, that is your food group. For example, last night I ordered some rice and butternut squash and kale to my room. That sounds really healthy and wise, doesn't it? They also included a half loaf of warm, crusty bread. Enough for my whole family. And I ate it. <laughs> so I am a carb girl. That is one of the categories. Maybe you're a sweet girl. Maybe you're a salty food girl. Or maybe you're a carbonated beverage girl. What category is your food group that you just could not live without? So where are my fellow carboholics? Uh-huh. Okay, girls, the next time somebody delivers a hot, crusty loaf of bread to your hotel room, you need to tell yourself that's not what you really need. Your body is sending you a signal, though, that you need some chromium, so you should probably instead eat some broccoli. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to happen. Where are my sweet girls? Yes, cupcakes are your friend. But not really. Your body is trying to send you a signal when you're craving sweets that you need chromium. So you should try some fish. <laughs> now here's my favorite. Salty girls, where are you? Your body is trying to tell you you need chloride. So the next time you are craving a bag of Doritos, reach for some raw goat milk. And where are the girls out there who think that carbonated drinks are a breakfast beverage? You wake up with a Dr. Pepper in your hand, right? Your body's trying to tell you you need calcium, so you should have some mustard and cheese, which probably would go quite well with a Dr. Pepper, so that's good for you. Now, I know that this information is accurate because I found it on Pinterest. So we can trust it. But I think that what we can agree on is that our cravings and our appetites and our desires often do lie to us, don't they? I didn't really feel more full after I ate a half loaf of warm, crusty bread. Did I mention it was warm and crusty? 
Um, I didn't feel less hungry. Instead, at one in the morning, I was hungry again because it wasn't really what my body needed. And our cravings and our desires lie to us. Would you open your Bible to Genesis 3? There's one craving that lies to us more potently than probably all the rest, and it is more deadly. It's found in Genesis 3:16. Countless generations of women have had this craving, this desire, this appetite. You have it, your mom had it, your grandma had it, your great-grandma had it. This goes all the way back to Eve. The craving that I'm going to read to you about is a part of the curse. This verse I'm going to read is, is happening right after Eve has believed the lie of the serpent and taken that piece of fruit, and God comes to describe for them what the consequences will feel like. And He says to Eve in verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, the word desire is key here, and some theologians say that it was a desire bordering on disease, all-consuming, overpowering for her. Now, theologians argue about, was this a desire for Adam, because he was a fine man? Or was this a desire to control Adam? Now, I think it could be either it's an important conversation, an argument, but what I have seen, sisters, is that we are quite adept at accomplishing both of those, needing a man and wanting to control him. Now, the craving shows up in our lives really early. Like kindergarten, we're like, God, give me the guy, give me the guy, give me the guy, give me the guy. And we pray that prayer all through middle school, all through high school, all through college, all th God, give me the guy, give me the guy, give me the guy. But when we get the guy, the craving hasn't actually been abated, and so we're like, God, fix the guy. <laughs> right? Well, let's admit one thing. This craving is probably lying to us. This desire, this appetite, is probably lying to us, and it is out of this craving and out of this desire that our lies about marriage are burst. But the desire to be loved, that's not a bad thing. Let's admit it, that we need to be loved. That is not just a need of woman, but humanity. It is a need that we have deep in our heart. God created us to be loved. Once when I was in a particularly deep season of feeling unloved and wanting a man to be the source of that love, God directed me to a Bible verse that has been a healing balm for my soul for decades. Would you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 19.22? It reads very simply, what a man desires, deep craving, is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. Now what does being poor or a liar have to do with my deep desire for unfailing love? Well, I think God is giving us permission to say how very much we need it. He says, listen, admit it. You need to be loved. You want to be loved. You were made to be loved. It's better to say that and be weak and less and, and, and needy of it than to lie. Don't believe the lie that you don't need to be loved. You do need to be loved. 
It is important. But unfailing love? That word, those words, unfailing love, are used 32 times in the Old Testament together, and never is the source of it anything other, any one other than God himself. Your heart was created to be in a love relationship with the God of the universe, and it's the only one that will never fail you. Listen, the most wonderful man in the world, the most loving, servant-hearted, Ephesians 5 and 6 man on this planet will fail the woman that he loves because he's human. The only place you can go to find unfailing love is to the source of love. No man can give you that, only God can. So your prescription for this craving cannot be found in a man. It cannot be found in marriage, as good as marriage is. It's gotta be found in God. Years ago, my daughter came home with a friend who had a t-shirt on. They were both teenagers at the time, and the t-shirt said, a girl has to be so lost in God that a guy has to seek him to find her. Good, huh? That's not Dana. Don't quote Dana. When you put it on Twitter, make sure that the source is a $25 t-shirt. <laughs> but it's good truth, isn't it? It's good truth for us in marriage, and it's good truth before marriage. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. Marriage and our love inside of marriage was always intended to be a picture of the love of Christ for his bride, the church. But we get really things backwards when we think we can understand the love of Christ if we have a guy one day and if our marriage is happy and fulfilling. Then I will under... That's backwards, my friends. You can't paint a picture of something you have not seen and experienced. First, we must know the unfailing love of God. And then as we are satisfied fully in that, we can enter into a relationship with a guy that has the potential of painting a picture of Christ's love. I want to confess to you that I have believed a lie about my marriage. I believed it as a single woman, and I believed it as a married woman, and it's this. I am not a picture of the gospel. I can't possibly be a picture of the gospel. As a single girl, I believed it because I wasn't married. I didn't have the guy, so I can't paint the picture of Christ's love, right? And then, as a married woman, when I found out that not only the guy needed fixed, but so did I, and marriage was hard sometimes, well, I'm not a picture of the gospel because this marriage isn't good enough. Have you ever believed either of those 
Have you ever believed that you couldn't be a picture of the gospel because you were single or that you couldn't be a picture of the gospel because your marriage just wasn't good enough? Well, today I hope that I can use the healing balm that God put on my heart to comfort yours. Single girls, what I found in the Bible, in God's wonderful letter to us, is that he seeks us that there is a before love, that he loved me before I loved him. Um, his love for us, his unfailing love for us is characterized by a seeking for us, a yearning for us. First John 4:19 says, we love because he first loved. Here, right now in this room, God is seeking after you. He is searching for you. Even if you know him, even if you love him, he wants a deeper love relationship with you. He has had and always will have a before love for you. He knew you in your mother's womb and he knew you before that. He has sought you and he is seeking you. We must never, never, never confuse our lack of feeling God with the reality that he is present. Where can we go from his spirit? Where can we flee from his presence? Now, in this moment, in this room, you are the object of his unfailing love, and he is seeking you out. Single girls, that ache in your heart to know and be known, it is a planting of God. And you are a picture of the gospel right now in this place with that hurt in your heart, with that loneliness, with that ache, because you are in the seeking love. You are in the before love. Give yourself permission for the desire. Now, we can't be consumed by it. It can't override our lives. We have to first and foremost enter into a love relationship with him, with Jesus, because there's no guy that's going to satisfy you until you have that. But will you please just let your heart have permission while you live your life and you serve the Lord in your singleness and find your fulfilling purpose, open your heart to the idea that it's okay to have this desire. You know, a girl we know a lot and love a lot, her name is Nancy, was single for 56 years, fulfilling her purpose and her call on this planet. And many of us have been spiritually mothered by her while she was single. She didn't walk around pining for a man, but she obviously kept her heart open to it. It is okay to keep your heart open as you live in the before love, in the seeking love. God has a before love for you. It's okay to experience that. It's okay to ache through it. Married sisters, do you have a perfect marriage? Because no, not, he, not me. And in those days, on those fights, in those hard moments, I just feel like I'm not a picture of the gospel. And so God revealed to me in his word that there is something called after love. The deep romance of young lovers, that's baby love. It's good and it's 
passionate and exciting, but when I know that I know that I know that Bob Gresh loves me, it's after I've been sinful. When I know that Bob is faithful and unfailing in his love for me, it's after I've wounded him, after I've hurt him, after I've disappointed him. Perhaps more than any other characteristics of God's unfailing love, this is something I have needed so very much to understand because it, it gives me not only hope in Bob and Dana, but hope in Dana and Jesus because sometimes I get that love relationship wrong too. And today, when the church is so broken and so wounded, it gives me hope for the love of Jesus and the church. Ezekiel wrote about this after love. He wrote about the faithful love that God had for a very broken Israel. Israel has been so unfaithful that Ezekiel describes what it has done in its love relationship with God is prostitution. And after that, Ezekiel writes, yet, says God, I will remember the covenant made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. God's relational, unfailing love means that even when we have been unfaithful, He is still pursuing us. He is still there. He is still with us. Are any of you going to deserve the love of God on the day that we, as a church, consummate our love relationship with our Savior? I'm talking about what's written about in the book of Revelation. Which of us will deserve to wear white because we're pure enough and holy enough, and yet that's what the book says we will do? The first words in the book of Revelation suggest a consummation. The term apocalypsis, usually translated as revelation, literally means an unveiling. Does that sound like a wedding to you? In John's times, Jews commonly spoke of apocalypsis to describe part of their week-long wedding festivities. So when John wrote about this, this love with this word, it was so understanding that apocalypsis was about the lifting of the bridal veil so that the bridegroom could see his beautiful bride. That is what you and I were made for, that intimacy, that love, and that is an after love. After we have lived our lives and messed everything up, after the Savior has died for us and it has been costly, after all of that, that is when, that is when Christ lifts the veil and looks at his once bloodied and broken church and says, I love you even here, even now, even though. And so, I guess that when Bob and Dana don't have good days, if I respond with Christ's unfailing love, if I respond with holiness and truth in my heart, even though it's been painful, even though it's hurt, even then we are painting a picture of Christ's love. Even then, sisters, you are painting a picture. Four nights ago, my husband and I were awake at four in the morning, hurting crying, hurting each other. It was there in the dark of the night when my heart was so broken and the tears were flowing 
that I realized one more time that Bob and Dana Gresh had made it past another pain, made it past another wounding, and that the unfailing love was rising up for us again, even though we made it past my workaholism and past his depression. We, we, ma we made it past my emotional brokenness and his lack of presence. We made it past my uncontrolled tongue and past his sometimes inability to lead well. And there, was a lot of, there were a lot of tears, there were a lot of accusations, and there was a lot of forgiveness. And there in that moment, in the darkness, we were still painting a picture of Christ's love, Christ's unfailing love. My single sisters, if your heart is yearning for before love, if your heart is yearning for love, you are in that state of before love, you are still a picture of the gospel. It is a lie that you aren't. And my married sisters, on those times when you feel broken like Bob and Dana Gresh do, if you rise up in truth and love, you are still painting a picture of the gospel. This message was presented at Revive Our Hearts True Woman event. If you enjoyed it and want to dig in deeper, check out the Lies We Believe series, including Lies Women Believe by Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, Lies Young Women Believe by Dana and Nancy, or the newest in the series, Lies Girls Believe by Dana Gresh. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.